0: This week, back from, well, it's got to be said, some failed surgery, uh, Stephen Kilby. Uh, Stephen was hoping that that plastic surgery was going to make a dramatic difference. Unfortunately, we thought initially he'd been horribly maimed and scarred by it. Turned out we'd forgotten it's exactly the same face as he previously had. So welcome, Stephen. No Marshall Pruitt this week. Marshall is in the midst of a home move uh, to welcome his lovely wife back. Uh, from hospital after a course. What we all know has been a pretty extended stay there. Um, But, as always, with thanks to our friends at Cooper Tyres and our other friends at the Justice Brothers. This show uh, brought to you with your questions and our answers to your questions about the wacky world of endurance racing. And amongst the big topics this week, of course, the announcement by Scott Atherton, the COO of IMSA, that he will be departing that post at the end of this year. I uh, you have gathered probably from the, the ambient sound not at uh, DSC headquarters but actually in the back seat of the DSC fun bus being pedalled at the moment by my partner uh, in ownership in DSC, David Lord fabulous driver, you know, fabulous terrible photographer, it's fabulous driver uh, in the fantastic traffic through Belgium this is the world's most boring journey uh, it's about three and a half hours of entire and total tedium and uh, i was working out a little while ago that this is my fifth trip this year to Spa for various reasons we're on the way back from the european Le Mans series another great race amazing final lap with well elbows out all over the place a little bit of afters a little bit of post-race penalty and then withdrawal of post-race penalty and again uh, an international mo- uh, race meeting controversy about post-race results uh, being changed, I'm sure we'll get into that with questions later but for now, the format today principally, simply because it, otherwise it means just juggling an iPad is Stephen going to be delivering questions to me, he'll be chiming in with his views, but we'll say uh, good morning Stephen, good to have you back
1: Yes, good morning Graham, it's uh, it's actually quite nice to be in a um, on a road trip podcast again, no squeaky chair of course no squeaky, no, chair. no squeaky chair Shall we get going? I
0: think we'll go for it, let's start with him sir.
1: Yeah, let's start with him, So And we'll start off with a question from Ryan Terpstra. He says, do we expect any more bopness? Hashtag adjustments before petite. Speaking of bopness, will Toyota be under threat at Fuji, or is it another success or two away? I
0: think the, the answer, by the way, uh, I'm going to start with correcting you on your grammar. Uh, the word that you've just mispronounced was actually uh, the latest in the... Uh, twist dictionary of martial pruritisms, and it's actually BOP-ness so the answer is I've zero doubt they'll be certainly having a quick look at uh, BOP Um, whether or not we'll actually see any major changes, it was pretty clear that uh, Laguna Seca very much uh, favoured the um, Yoricka Shassid Acuras, Cadillacs were back more in the room but uh, the Mazdas certainly just seemed to be just about nowhere, still not quite understanding just exactly um, why the Masters that seemed able to go long in most of their stints went short in the final stint. Uh, I've not really had the time to kind of dig into that, but zero doubt we'll see another attempt to uh, get things right. Still slightly perplexed as to why it's been so, well, <sighs> pendulum-like really this season in IMSU. It's some it's a it's a process that IMSW got their heads around, but all of a sudden seems perhaps not to be quite as neat and tidy as we've expected back in the past
1: and next up we've got a raft of questions um, regarding Scott Afferton's retirement, so we've got Andrew Muggeridge, Alex Eichmer and uh, Stephen Gardner, um, all asking about Scott Afferton, are asking what's our best Scott Afferton story, best achievements of Scott Atherton over his ye- over his years at the top of IMSA and just the general thoughts on, on him retiring.
0: Um, look Whenever you've got a long-standing and very able uh, official, um, such as Scott Atherton, an executive in the case of Scott Atherton, you do tend to look back and see what the life and times of you know, his time in the sport um, brought us. You, you would do well to avoid the two things that I think define his time. The first, or the most more re- recent, of course, is his handling at the merger, Uh, between the very much divided camps of the American Le Mans series and Grand Down Road Racing um, you know, under Jim Franson, new Emser if you like and before that it was his guardianship with a very tight team of the American Le Mans series which I think defined the shape of modern sports car racing more or less everything uh, that we watch nowadays fell out from those days so certainly Scott as a kind of guardian of the spirit of sports car racing is going to be right up there with the very best of them good to catch up with Scott. We had a um, round-robin conference call on the day that he announced uh, that he was going to be leaving at the end of the season. And, you know, it was same old Scott, which is very considered. A little bit of emotion as well. Um, Never wasted time with Scott Atherton. Always, of course, there was politics around uh, motorsport, you couldn't always squeeze out those stories that uh, perhaps readers like, which is the unguarded comment but that's because he was a master of the art he was a master of the art of uh, making sure that what he was saying was what he actually meant and not what perhaps the writer um, or indeed sometimes the reader would like to actually write or read Um, lots and lots of stories Uh, my favourite recent one was being a little bit cheeky at Sebring this year Scott was famous for a number of things. But in the dark days of the ALMS, Scott was famous for um, basically trying to raise some hope. Clearly, there's always a lot of things in the background uh, when there's ups and downs in motorsports. And he had the phrase that he used possibly a little too often. If you, you, if you knew what I knew, was used very much. I did actually ask him the question, just what is it that you know that we don't?
1: <laughs> Do we know now, Graham? Yeah, we know it's going.
0: <laughs> but, um, you know, Scott, I'm sure you're listening to this. I know you do. Um, thank you. Actually, thank you on behalf of me and my profession, my, uh, my guys, everybody else in the press room. And, you know, the redefinition for me that really mattered to the people that hold that racing deer is... It, it's encapsulated in a beautiful catchphrase for the fans and that was the way the American Le Mans series conducted itself and it continues in that vein with him nowadays.
1: What do you think the reaction from the ACO and FIA has been? Do you think that they were as, as surprised as maybe some of us um, you know, outside those walls? They
0: were surprised. I've had a co- conversation with a couple of uh, principals at uh, the ACO and at uh, LMEM who run WC and LMS and um, I think they were both surprised and uh, upset's the wrong word Uh, I think when you read some of the the commentary around the the issues and of course there are always issues when you've got uh, large organisations with sometimes conflicting priorities don't Get away from the fact that, whilst there have been difficult moments, there was always, absolutely always, mutual a mutual respect and admiration between the principal characters involved. And I think people would be surprised by the closeness of some of those professional relationships. You know, don't always believe the stuff when you read it that Executive A hates and loathes Executive B. That's not always the case. In this case, it most certainly wasn't. Never, ever confuse a disagreement with a loathing or a hatred. It's not the same thing. And they're usually big enough and in very many cases ugly enough to accept that.
1: Moving on now, we've got Matt Nieder on Facebook. who says, with the glutton supply of talented IMSA drivers looking for work in 2020, do you expect we'll see any migration to the Michelin Pilot Challenge Series? The Sporting Reg state platinum-rated drivers are prohibited in that series. While this would exclude all the Ford GT drivers, it means we could see Lally... Razzle dazzle, or Colin Brown in T, uh, GT4 or TCR mas- machinery in 2020. All that's missing is a paying AM driver to fund a program. Are you hearing any such murmurings in the paddock? Uh, I'm not, but then
0: again, I'm not in that paddock. Um, I will challenge you, Matt, and good day, Matt. For uh, it's good to hear from you. Is all that's missing is uh, basically the money. I think. That, don't forget that that is one of the defining factors. With talent comes a bigger bill. And it would be great to see some of those guys staying in gainful employment. I've no doubt that we will see them in gainful employment. But as Marshall said in last week's show, it's a worrying moment at the moment with uh, where IMSA is. number of programmes that are going away because of the plan is that they were going away. Um, A number of programmes that we expect to see, uh, you know, turning down the wick or going away as well. Right now, I think, you know, we could do with hearing a little bit of positivity about maybe a couple of programmes coming forward. I hope that not a single one of those guys finds themselves sitting watching the races on TV next year. Um,
1: But the reality is that some of them will. That's it for Imza, so we've got Weck, Aslums, Elms and Akko to come, Graham. And there's quite a lot of these. It's quite a lot of these. Uh, first up, we've got Atkins Consulting on Twitter, who says, "What steps will the FIA take to even up the competition in P2 to stop the class becoming effectively an Icaro only class?"
0: Um, I think there's two questions. One of which you've not asked, and one of which you directly did ask. One is, what are they going to do about evening it up? The other one is, what are they going to have to do uh, with the hypercars coming? And that's. Basically, drifting into the performance envelope for LMP2. The answer to the latter question, I know, and we'll be writing about that in due course. Um, so, that, that will be something that uh, we will come forward with in the coming days. Um, as for how they will even things out between the chassis, that's a really difficult question. Um, you know, I, we're not going to see a brand new set of regulations immediately, we're going to see the, uh, the existing cars. Um, with some changes made to reflect where they want them to be in terms of performance levels. Uh, Is it a worrying time in terms of anybody that's not got an Orica? Yeah, it is, and increasingly so, actually. Does that need action? That's for the governing body, to be honest with you. My view always was that when the LMP2 regulations came forward, there was an advantage inbuilt there, whether wittingly or unwittingly, it's for others to answer, for Orica. Theirs was the only car that could be amended from the existing LMP2, the then 05. It was the only chassis that could be carried over to the 07, and that's reflected by the fact that I believe there's only possibly two, maybe three, Orica 05s now in existence, uh, one of which is a... Uh, collector car, it's one of the the winning cars from Le Mans, and Alpine, Um, and that one of the existing cars was built brand new after 2017 as a 05 to run for Jackie Chan DC Racing in uh, the Asia Le Mans series. There was something inbuilt there that gave them the opportunity to use a lot more of the experience they got with that chassis and with aerodynamics uh, in addition to which, you shouldn't forget either there've been multiple LMP1 programs with that chassis, that same basic chassis. So again, that has helped them uh, in terms of their understanding and the progress to develop what's proved to be well a near unbeatable um, package in LMP2. We've just we're on the you know on way back now from Spa, Stephen, where we've seen a team that's just switched just a few weeks ago to an Algar chassis, United Autosports, having. Um, had the perfect weekend, topping the times in every competitive session, uh, topping the times in every competitive session for the first time in the ELMS race for any team since Dragon Speed in 2016. It's very, very unusual uh, in the ELMS for a team setting pole position to go on and win the race, and bizarrely, the end of 2016 at Spa was the last time that happened too. So the reality is, that is a superb race car, And yes, I think that Delara and Ligier at the moment are struggling to come anywhere close to matching the breadth of its performance window. And I think that's the point. It's the breadth of the performance window that matters. And as time goes on as well, of course, when you've got the good teams, the best teams, with what is the best car, the tyre manufacturers are going to be building tyres that favour that chassis as well.
1: Hello, ride-turn lover he's been in on Twitter and he's asked a question he says can you improve Spa by replacing one of its corners with one from the other tracks on the ELMS calendar no I probably agree with that it's a pretty good circuit Spa isn't it I've never thought of Spa as a circuit that's particularly boring
0: uh, no, Spa produces great racing. We've said it before. We hate driving there and driving back. We don't particularly like working there. It's not a particularly brilliant working environment. But as a spectating environment, as a circuit to actually talk about on, you know, through through a microphone type thing, um, there's few, if any, that are better. Uh, it is a stunning piece of race circuit, and you know, I think you need the kind of technical to break up the flow at times. But for me. I look at Spa and I'm thinking, I'm, I, there's not much I'd like to change there. I mean, obviously, at the moment, we're focused very much on safety. We've had some horrifying shunts this week as well. I think three Orica chassis, badly damaged. Uh, some extraordinary efforts from one or two of the teams, with Sport um, in particular... Uh, overnight on Saturday going to get an unraced, privately-owned Orica 07, bringing it back to the circuit. Nick Manassian, uh, I believe, was driving the uh, the van that actually got there, came back, got back at about 4 or 5 a.m., and then the team set to work. That car had not turned a wheel in the team's hands before the race. Uh, Amazing stuff, but, you know, are there concerns about maybe some changes to be made to that circuit? with things like resurfacing that might have lost some of the grip, etc. Yes, that is some of the things we're hearing. In the aftermath of a fatal accident, and neither should we forget, um, and we don't, the ongoing major struggles for Juan Manuel Correa, um, fingers crossed and all best wishes to him and his family, as that young man has got one hell of a struggle ahead of him. Um, Of course, in the wake of those accidents... Uh, those accidents, uh, that there are going to be questions asked about whether or not the safety systems at Spa are sufficient for the cars with the capabilities they've now got. Let's wait and see. But I'm certainly not going to be somebody who's going to stand forward and say it's completely inappropriate to put a gravel trap in, point A and point B. I love my sport. I love to watch my sport. I want to see people racing and racing hard, but I'm not prepared to put the... um, safety, the ultimate safety of those young men and women ahead of my enjoyment
1: Next up is Sam Hampshire on Twitter, he says Why has Jackie Chan DC Racing's presence in the ACO Series diminished so much? They've gone from two cars in the WC and multiple uh, multiple in the Asia Le Mans Series to just one to Run car Do you know the reason why they've been cutting back and what they're up to now?
0: I think you know that more than more than me, I mean I know the basic answer but I know you've been you dug, dug into that at the prologue Stephen
1: yeah, I'll do a quick plug. Um, if you listen, if you listen to the Marshall Pro- Prologue special uh, from earlier this year, there's a sort of 10-15 minute conversation with Sam Hignit from Jota on there, which answers these questions and more about how that Jota, JCDC effort is running this year. But it's it's mainly down to commercials. We know with the new um, the new format with the WC and their calendar uh, that it, it is difficult to find customers and sponsors that will back you for a full season. It's because it crosses over two financial years, so that is something that we know that the Jackie Chan DC struggled with a little bit, um, making sure that they have sponsors on board. And in this case, it's it's just fallen that way that they haven't been able to fill two fully branded car, um, field two fully branded cars. So it's it's gone back to uh, to one Jota run car and and another car which is a, a, a Jota entered car, and it's given Jota a chance to um, relaunch themselves as a sports car brand. Um, And we mustn't forget that even when they did have two cars, it it was Jota behind the scenes. Um, So not too much has changed in terms of who you see in the garage. It's it's, it's more livery and and team name um, that's changed. Uh, We'll we'll move on now to to Rob Horn on Twitter. who says, are the LMP3s balanced performance? Uh, uh, If not, when uh, will um, Janetta and Odess sell some cars? How long do you expect them to be competitive after being out for so long? Um, Thanks for the great show.
0: Uh, no, they're not. Uh, so there is uh, the the cars are already homologated. All four of the new cars are homologated. Uh, two have run: Ligier and Adès. Uh, the Duquesne is due to run tomorrow, I think. Am uh, right in Saint Stephen? And the Ginetta is about now as well. Um, how do I do? I expect it to be competitive. Yes. Don't forget that Ginetta was the first car at the blocks, and almost a year before we saw the Ligier major problem with that car um, was actually weight. It was overweight compared to the regulations, it was overweight compared to the Ligier. Uh, There's never been anything wrong in terms of its straight line speed. It's amongst the slipperiest cars in LMP3 even to this day. Um, We will, I'm sure, start to hear about sales for most of those cars pretty soon. Uh, the last conversation I had with Janetta said that they were in a very advanced talks with a number of teams about sales. You and I have been plodding the paddock in Spa and we've uh, picked up at least three teams that have uh, confirmed that they've bought Duquesne. Uh, can you remind, remind me how many teams you've been told have actually put names on contracts for Ligier cars? It's a fair number.
1: Yeah, it's uh, AF Corsa, 360 Racing, United. Um, United uh, and there are a couple more there are definitely a couple more than that I think, it, I think it's five or six teams already And um, we expect a lot of those to be with multiple cars and the other
0: thing to say here is this is before uh, many of those teams had a chance to sample the new cars because of course the testing that's been done so far has been the de- development testing by the factory but it's certainly fair to say that Leach have done the most testing Ginetta have had the engine for that car, but have clearly had their hands full with LMP1 programmes. It's still a very small team at Janetta uh, but my understanding was as soon as they were sending off the freight for WEC in Japan, then the next thing on the agenda was to test the LMP3 car. Uh, for me, um, it's going to be very interesting to see how the the uh, the performance of the four cars actually comes out. did have a chance to speak by the way to Stefan Chausset of Hades, who was at uh, Spa uh, lending a hand with the H24 project the hydrogen fuel car of course uses an Hades chassis they are still uh, looking for a partner to get a car or two in international racing and it would be great to see all four cars out competing against each other either way We are likely to see an ADES chassis racing in the Michelin Le Mans Cup next year because the H24 car is likely to see some race action. Uh, One thing to make make certain, and I'm not sure whether or not the... I think, in fact, there's a question about hydrogen fuel later, so I'll come back to that one later. But I think there's been some misunderstandings about what that car is about, what they're trying to do with that car. So we'll come to that a little later in the show.
1: Josh Ridgian on Facebook says the Glickenhaus hypercar has been revealed this week and as a follow up question to last week do you expect a fin to be added to it before it races?
0: I think I do I don't see any reason why they shouldn't have the additional piece of aero uh, in their armoury that's designed to do one thing and one thing only, which is basically to help the car stay on the ground in the case where it gets sideways. So I think I do. Lovely to see the render. The render looks stunning, without a shadow of a doubt. Great to catch up with Jim Clickenhouse last week, and you know we brought you uh, on racer.com and on Daily Sports Car some of his thoughts. Uh, and we'll wait and see just exactly who the engine partner is going to be for that car. I think there's a massive visual clue with the delivery of the cars, ca- uh, cars carrying, as we've said in both those pieces, Stephen.
1: No, I'm looking forward to seeing what that can do once it gets on track, because it is a beautiful, beautiful car. Um, Daniel Daniel Summersgill on Facebook says do you think that Kamui Kobayashi's Le Mans qualifying lap record of 314.791 will ever be broken? Hashtag me personally I think the record could last a very long time given that Hypercar will be much slower than LMP1 it may be possible in 2020 but given EOT although no there are no handicaps at Le Mans and the fact that the record was set in perfect conditions I think it's very unlikely what are your thoughts?
0: I tend to agree with you entirely, to be honest with you. I think we have got a chance in 2020 that uh, Tota has never been better. They have put some development into the car for this year. They will want to send that car out with a bang, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, But beyond that, we are talking about turning the dial down for some little while yet. New technology is on the way beyond hypercar. And again, stories beginning to emerge about that. And of course, if you're a manufacturer... And you want to show off new technology, you want to encourage people, inspire people compared to what's gone before. You want to show that, you know, whether it's E V, whether it's fuel cell, whatever it is, you're gonna to want to show that there's no compromise on your performance and on your endurance. So I wouldn't write it off, but I think you're right, it's gonna be some little while before there's even a hope.
1: I you were saying just just then that you you I've spoken to a few people about hydrogen and the H24 project. I know it's really, really early, like years and years out from hydrogen cars probably hitting the track at Le Mans, but is there a target lap time or anything
0: like that at this stage? Remind me. Not a target lap time, but uh, the clear intention from zero emissions um, is that it will be... Uh, very soon after introduction will be uh, in contention for the win overall in the race whatever level of performance that is and I genuinely cannot see that being any less impressive if you like than what they're aiming for for hypercar which is around the 330 or just below for race pace not qualifying pace race pace so I think that is going to be the starting bit.
1: Next up is Michael Breedick, and uh, I apologise for all these names. I'm probably because I've got a, a juggling iPad in one hand. I'm probably mispronouncing it's and butchering. It, it's, it's, #Hashtag Blame the Surgery. That's yeah, what I'm going to say. Yeah, um, me, on, face, on Facebook, he says the WC race together with the ELMS sil- at Silverstone, and together with IMSA at Sebring. Do you think there will ever be a weekend with the WC and Asian Le Mans Series race together in Asia? If so, which track would you prefer?
0: We've had it. We did it at uh, Fuji some years ago. That was my first real introduction to the series. Now that would have been when Stephen? 16,
1: maybe even earlier, maybe like 15 or 14. It was, and was that also a weekend with a Super GT, or was that a different weekend?
0: Uh, not on the same track. We we, we certainly had because uh, the Asia Le Mans series were um, in a marquee at the end of the pit lane as I recall it uh, small number of cars about 13 or 14 cars which is the starting point for where we now find ourselves with teams coming forward this week we'll have more news by the way this week of some of the new entrants for the uh, Asian Le Mans series that um, starts in November at Shanghai and as I speak in fact my, my uh, phone is buzzing with the operations director looking to talk to me about uh, something or other so that will be the next call after we finish finished recording this Um the answer is, do I see it happen again? I hope so. I really do. Uh, I think they're complementary. I have my own little pet idea about what should happen, uh, and it's less to do with the WEC and more to do with the LMS. Uh, and I think what's missing from the calendar is an opportunity for teams to get the opportunity to sample both. And I'd love to see a kind of two-week um, endurance racing festival at somewhere like Yas Marina with European Le Mans series having some kind of race at the end of their season, a week of testing and then the opening round maybe of the Asian Le Mans series afterwards. That's a long way in the future I think but that I think would help the whole picture um, of endurance racing in a region where I think there's still an opportunity for real growth.
1: We've got Rob Chalmers now on Twitter who asks um, a Glickenhaus going to regret going down the non-hybrid route. Hashtag #Me personally, although it's going to be a BOP formula in hypercar, I honestly believe the investment in hybrid technology will be rewarded.
0: I think the great thing about this, Rob, it's a great question. Um, I don't think there's going to be an agenda at play. Remember, at the moment, what we know, Toyota committing to at least two cars, though I think they may be tempted towards a third for a short program, if not only Le Mans, um, Aston Martin. And with our motorsports, you already said that they were looking at more than two, which meant at least three. Later stories talk about the potential for four. I think there's a possibility that maybe in year two there might be more than that with the Valkyrie. I can't see a governing body um, restricting out through choice of powertrain uh, the numerically dominant uh, partner, if you like, in that. So I hope not. I don't believe so. Can Glickenhaus produce a package that is going to be capable of going head-to-head with Aston Martin and Toyota? Well, Jim Glickenhaus thinks they can, and I'm going to have great fun watching him try. Mm.
1: Next up is Neil Hardy on Twitter. He says, following the disqualifications after the Le Mans Cup race at Spa, do you think the scale of penalties for technical infringements needs to be reviewed? Should there be separate scales for faults by teams and drivers? I think before we answered that one, we should probably go through and explain just what happened because right. that was a remarkable morning, wasn't it, on yesterday?
0: Yeah, well, rather bizarrely, we were talking about exactly this uh, this issue on our way into the circuit, only to be greeted as we stepped in through the press room door by the news that the top three cars, all Norma LMP3 cars, have been excluded from the results um, of the Michelin Le Mans Cup, so the whole podium was disqualified. All for the same reason, and that was that um, somebody had shortened the bolts fastening the crash box onto the main monocoque, the main chassis. So should be 25 mil bolts. Uh, in this instance, um, the well the stewards' uh, notes said between 10 and 15 uh, millimeters. I was told that at least one of those bolts was as, as short as seven millimeters. Uh, I wrote a tweet that basically said, "I think this is what actually what you're responding to here is that it's about time we took a good look, and it is about time we took a good look." But having had time to think about this one, in this instance, you know what? It's safety related, and I get it. This is not going to be the only thing on those cars that. Uh, the teams or the manufacturers or whoever else involved would have played with to try to find some tiny competitive advantage. Uh, When safety is involved, I don't really have very much of a sense of humour about it. It doesn't get away from the fact, though, that we have had a remarkable number of instances with penalties during or post-race, often for very minor transgressions, which have had a major effect on the results. It's not just uh, ELMS or Le Mans Cup or WEC. It's happened in IMSA as well. It's happened in SRO Rules Racing. you know. And we are in an era where... I'm afraid the, uh, the rule makers and those that enforce the rules are putting I think too much influence on the results of those races yes rules are rules without a shadow of a doubt but I do think we need to look again at the um, effects that that has on the overall picture, on the competitive picture and in particular when you can get into the position where perhaps there might be instances where a team is punished but the drivers Aren't because let's not forget who's a customer to who.
1: Mm. I did like your suggestion that in this instance maybe that maybe the team points should be deducted more than the uh, you know instead of the drivers or. It's
0: the problem in the Michelin and Cup instance is that, there were, that it was a disqualifiable offence, and that that does kind of come into it. But I do think we're at the stage now where this is something where it does. Now, Warren, a, a serious consideration about whether or not some of the penalties meted out for some of the, uh, some of the issues. Things like spinning wheels in pit lane, remember with uh, Ben Keating. Uh, and it wouldn't have mattered, actually, because the, the, uh, the technical problem that eventually eliminated Ben from the results at Le Mans would have overridden the penalty that he got for spinning the wheels in pit lane. But I think we've got to ask ourselves whether or not a penalty for those kind of matters is proportionate um, to what's actually happened on or off track
1: Richard Cooper now on Twitter uh, writes if the WCTV crew got rid of cameramen who film less than exciting shots of team members staring off camera during on track battles that nobody wants to see, could the money be saved to allow for TV coverage to be free on the app?
0: Oh there's a leading question ok, um, first things first um I can tell you that the process of uh, commentating on an endurance race is far from straightforward. Um, I'm delighted to be involved in that. It's part of my job that I absolutely love. The technical sides of putting together that programme make that look like a stroll in the park. Uh, Do, from time to time, I have a response that's remarkably like, I'm sure, yours? Yes, I do. Um, moving away from action to see a reaction it's it's a judgement call on the part of the director uh, does that happen a little too much at times, in all sorts of sports yes it does, I'm not particularly a fan of gratuitous shots of pretty girlfriends and wives in pits, uh, if it doesn't add to the story, but that's not my call
1: um, would it save enough
0: money uh, to do what you're asking for,
1: no it wouldn't mm. I think it's worth talking about the new camera shots and graphics for the WEC be interested to hear your thoughts growing. so are you coming into the, the press room at Silverstone after you'd done your first technical rehearsal before before the first race meeting of the year saying we've got some awesome new cameras and new graphics for this season which you, I don't think you were expecting and I, I watched the qualifying and the race my conclusion was these are brilliant You're like like you were saying uh, to me yesterday Grant, the camera with the Toyota where you can see the rear view mirror so you can see the cars flying past the GTs splitter cameras um, the graphics for me are cleaner I like the gap the gap indicator the, the new things like that but there's been a lot of people being critical about it on social media, haven't they? Is that just because social media is only full of people being critical about things?
0: <laughs> no, no, I, I think that's a, that's massively unfair, and how dare you talk about <laughs> our viewers that way. I think sometimes new takes a while to get used to. Uh, I think from our point of view about the way in which we can talk about things... My, my job is quite a simple one in terms of WCTV. My job is to support Alan McNish in explaining, particularly by using facts and figures drawn from a wide variety of sources including some of the graphical input we get and in that regard it makes my life my job simpler, it makes the job of the viewer simpler will they need tweaking? Of course they will need tweaking because of course those graphics have been developed from the point of view of somebody or a team of somebody's in this case that is not actually a casual consumer of the product. And I again give the same advice to viewers of that output that I would give when you're feeding back to anybody, which is let's have some feedback, let's have some constructive commentary on it. And I guarantee you, you know, if we agree and the graphics team and the the, uh, producer and the director agree, it will be changed. There's no doubt about that. No one's doing this to make it worse, they're doing it to make it better. So if you can see something that jars for whatever reason, and I've seen all sorts of uh, fairly constructive responses about where the shading has to go to make it visible, that might make viewing some of the other parts of the screen. Those are the kind of things that can be played with, that can be uh, juggled. To see whether or not, whether whether or not, and where the happy medium is. So please do, if you've got that level of uh, feedback, I'm perfectly happy if you'd drop me a, loan, uh, a line through social media or by email for those of you that know what my email address is. Um, drop that that feedback to me. I will write it all up and I will give it to the team in the uh, production. Uh, office and then they can make that decision they will look at it i guarantee it and if they think that you've got a good point i would be pretty uh, secure in my kind of opinion that by the time we get to shanghai there might be some changes made
1: and remember kids just shouting it's terrible doesn't
0: help it doesn't i think you know i guess it's it's it, no one has produced something that's worse for you on purpose what they've done is, and I had this conversation with the team, they are rightly proud of the work that's been done um, that th- what they've tried to do is to respond to some of the clear gaps in um, in knowledge and ability to access that knowledge there is more to come by the way, there is more to come and you'll see some more emerging as the season comes, uh, comes forward I'm not going to give anything away quite yet but some quite exciting stuff to come with that, can I help you in terms of you know the issues around where and when you can access and how much that costs no i can't but what i can do is to provide a bit of a a back door if you like into the people whose opinion really counts which are the guys spending the money and spending the time putting that
1: graphics package on screen james hewitt next on twitter It says, so, with the hydrogen car now making um, free practice uh, one and free practice two at Spa, how long could it be before we see this car make some sort of racing debut within the Le Mans Cup? If I'm rightly, it was supposed to race at some point this year originally, wasn't it? The
0: original idea was that it was going to race in Le Mans Cup
1: uh, this year.
0: And that didn't happen, I think, for a couple of reasons, one of which has now been dealt with and we'll come to that in just a moment. The other one is the performance has not been yet at a level that makes it safe to put out amongst those cars. First thing to say about performance is, and it's it's one that I've got wrong before now, uh, but was reminded by none other than Pierre Fion, that the performance target for those cars is not LMP3, it's gt3 the reason it's not lmp3 is not because it can't go far enough on fuel it should do around an hour on a tank of uh, hydrogen fuel it's because of the weight of the car the car at the moment is about 1.4 metric tons significantly heavier than an lmp3 car in terms of where we were in performance in those three practice sessions yes it was still a little off Um, a well-pedalled GT3. It was way off a well-pedalled LMP3 but that performance is beginning to come forward and there have been tweaks made including new front panel it doesn't quite look look like a kind of bottom feeding fish anymore Uh, it's now got a front panel with some really quite neat running and racing lights Uh, and I think you're going to see more and more coming forward with that project in its role as a technology demonstrator so first things first my understanding is that we will see that car running in races in the Michelin Le Mans Cup next year the thing that has made that difference uh, their ability to do that um, is nothing to do with the performance of the car, it's actually what we saw for the first time at Spa and it's very neat indeed it is a containerized fueling station for hydrogen now one of the big problems and you, you know, anybody that's kind of following the of the automotive industry at the moment will know that one of the big problems about the spread of new technologies is having the infrastructure for EVs, for instance, for alternative fuels, that every fuel station doesn't have every alternative fuel that people might like. And certainly, whilst we're playing a rapid catch-up game, there is not by any means yet a comprehensive network at the level at which it would be needed to support a rapid spread of EVs. Having the opportunity to put a fueling station on the back of a truck and take it with you to a race, that is what unlocks the opportunity for that technology demonstrator to join a European Championship like the Michelin Le Cup at every round. If I'm not yet aware it's every round for Michelin Le Cup, but certainly my understanding is it's
1: multiple rounds at the very least. Most of the viewers at home, or listeners in this instance at home, probably haven't seen this car turn a wheel yet. You've been on site, you've been close up to the car, you've seen it run. Does it excite you? I think the technology
0: excites me. I think it's got the, there's some passion around it. and Anybody that's got a kind of passion for innovation and new technology, you can't fail to be impressed by it. You know, we, we'll come down, of course, as we always do, to aesthetics and uh, to the, the sound uh, of that. And actually, you know what? He's driving at the moment, but we'll ask Dave Lord, because Dave has been trackside for this car being out there. So, you know, we're just, we're just going to poke the, the thing there forward. Dave, standing trackside as a photographer, what's the sound like of the uh, the H24 car? I mean, you know, you compare it to the other cars in the Michelin Cup or the LMS, but also to something like Formula E, which has got a kind of vacuum cleaner type sound. What do you reckon? Um, it's mostly tyre noise. You know, a whooshy noise that it comes past. And is that noise from the car, or is that just simply the air being moved? Yeah the air being moved and I think that's what we've got to look forward to in new, in terms of new technology it's you know maybe we're going to have to get to a stage where with some of these new cars it's going to be less impressive and less loud if you like and we know what happened when that happened with Formula One um, but actually in terms of what the technology is able to do it's really impressive stuff in terms of what's happening with that energy look at what happened with the, with the hybrid cars particularly the Audi in the latter days it was so quiet but, you know, the impressive part of it was just what you were seeing rather than what you were hearing.
1: Maybe we're already kind of accustomed to what these cars are going to sound like because we've seen the diesel era and the hybrid era where the cars did sound a bit like a sort of fighter jet if you did yes. get to hear them between yeah. the other cars. And actually, it may sound like a controversial opinion, but I really like the noise of like the R18 in certain iterations where it did make a you know... Like, a, like Lordy says a whooshing noise because oh, yeah, yeah. it's the difference between that and Formula E I guess is it sounds fast to me Formula E cars don't sound fast they sound so disappo- they don't but
0: Formula E can always to me sound disappointed
1: mm. it, I can, disappointing uh,
0: disappointed
1: it, yeah I can understand that it's just that is a big part of it with, with car noise it's it's, it's it's does it sound quick I'm, I'm not having a pop
0: at Formula E for the sake of having a pop at Formula E there's lots of reasons why you could the other conversation, by the way, and again with Pierre Fion, with the guys from Total who put together that fuel station uh, concept, and also the guys from H24 that we got into, was quite a long conversation about why um, inevitably these technologies are going to find their way to endurance racing. Formula E fulfills a, ticks a lot of boxes right now with the the, the pains that the automotive industry is going through but there are various things it doesn't do. It doesn't encourage people to change their mind about the endurance of the technology. In other words, it doesn't give you an indication of range. If anything, it underlines people's anxiety about range. And neither does it give you um, a tick in the box about the repeatability of that. So what I mean by that is you come in, you fuel or whatever, or charge, and then you go out and you, you go again. Formula E doesn't do that. You don't charge the car during a race and then go out and do it again. The new technologies we're talking about uh, to do with the zero emissions that are being talked about at the moment behind closed doors at the ACR, and I'm sure elsewhere, do do that. And at that point, that becomes something more promotable for those OEMs. It's not a crack at Formula E. Formula E, I believe, was necessary right now for exactly where we are with the automotive industry today. I don't believe that is ultimately going to be the answer to the questions that uh, the industry actually has I think the answer to the questions the industry is going to have and that uh, in, in terms of getting and keeping those customers is going to be about putting technologies in place whether or not it's what we've got at the moment whether or not it's what's coming next or what or even after that, is about having performance yes having the ability to take that performance for a realistic length of time let's say an hour 40 minutes And it's then having the opportunity to recharge, to refuel that car and go again and again and again. That's going to be the defining moment for motorsport with new technologies that will define whether or not we've got a winning formula.
1: Ed Horace is asking another question about about sort of alternative fuels. He says, to your knowledge, is any major OEM uh, working on a fuel cell LMP car for 2024
0: yet? Uh, An actual car? I don't know. Working on the regulations, 100% yes. And again, there'll be a pretty major update uh, later this week for a racer and for DSC about the scope and scale of that process and what they're aiming for and when they're aiming for it.
1: Damien Peachman uh, is asking a question about Glickenhaus. What what engine will will it use? I think we kind of speculated on that a little bit earlier.
0: We have. I mean, look, you'll have seen the same speculation as as I've seen. uh, Is Jim Glickenhaus ready to actually reveal um, exactly who that is? No, he's not. I've had that conversation. He's asked for conversations to be kept private right now. But look, Jim never does anything for no reason. I would direct you to two things about the current images and uh, facts that are known. He's made it clear the car will not be a hybrid. It'll be uh, be powered by a 3-litre twin-turbo V6 uh, from a a, a major automotive manufacturer. And he's presented uh, the renders in a particular way. It's got a particular colour scheme. If you're asking me what I think... Uh, I think you're being guided towards uh, a conclusion that Alfa Romeo might be involved in that programme, either as a supplier or as a partner. I don't know whether or not that's absolutely true, and I don't know which, if either of those options, might be the end of the story. But at this stage, I think if you were speculating that Alfa Romeo might be a partner for um, that uh, programme, I think there's plenty of clues there to say that uh, there's a good reason
1: to come to that conclusion. Another question from Damien. Um, it is Graham and Stephen, what's the current state of Bicolis' hypercar programme? Is it just a wait and see for now?
0: I think it's exactly that. We've heard absolutely nothing. Uh, what do we know about the Bicolis uh, programme? We know that the existing car has been out and testing. That seems quite an odd thing to do, uh, whether or not that's testing parts or aerodynamics or anything for the hypercar. We also know that Bicolis some time ago took on, uh, certainly were advertising for hybrid um, aware uh, technical staff. Other than that I have to tell you I've heard literally zero. Stephen?
1: I, I remember when we wrote the story that bike had been out testing in Brno we went back and looked at what they originally sent back in June and, and they did say that in 2020 2021 that they were planning to run the existing LMP1 car alongside the hypercar so like a two car thing with a two-car programme with two separate cars.
0: Which, which you know, if you had the option to do that, and if actually you're genuinely looking to bring along technology alongside an existing uh, benchmark, is not the world's most silly thing. It's also, by the way, remember, the LMP1 car is an asset for that company that otherwise they're going to have to sit and put a sheet over. If they've got customers they can put in that car in a grandfathered fashion and get out there and race, well, why shouldn't they? And if you're grandfathering LMP1 cars... If there is a performance gap uh, for the Bicolis against you know, its current competitors, you might also come to the conclusion that maybe a bit, bit more competitive against those competitors in a grandfathered form. Uh, so let's wait and see. I am in, firmly in wait and see mode about Bicolis. I don't want to be negative about anybody that's out there and spending time and money, but they've
1: got a lot to prove. Jakob Bem on Facebook is asking a question about LMP2. He writes, if we're facing P2s being slower than we know they're capable of, do you think it could be viable to prolongate the homologation of the class one more cycle to keep the c- cycle in sync with car, car and LMP3? Hashtag me personally thinks that doing so alongside opening the regs for more than four REMs could become a solution for the Orica problem.
0: I think the answer is what you're going to see in the first instance is something that's a bit different from that. You're going to see the uh, LMP2s reeled in in a particular way. Again, as I say, we'll we'll be writing about that in the coming days, um, that what they're looking to do is to keep a separation. I think they think they've got enough uh, coming in the new top class for next season. And remember, that is for the 2020-2021 season. So starting from September next year, so not next year at Le Mans. That will be the cars we've got in the WEC at the moment. But I think they think they've got enough for an opening year of... Uh, a new set of regulations, and they'll be hoping that, that persuades more to come. What they don't want to be doing is muddying the waters with three different sets of cars hypercars, grandfathered LMP1 cars, and I firmly expect to be part of the picture uh, for next season, and LMP2 cars balanced against them. I don't think that's on the cards at all.
1: Final question before we go to Henaralla is right. from Right Turn Lover on Twitter who says. Is there any point in keeping the Pro-Am moniker in the LMS? Even GTM now has lineups including not a single genuine amateur. Do we drop the pretense and have drivers hired by on-track quality, not metal optimization quality?
0: I think the question is going to, have to be one for the FIA. It's as simple as that. What do I think? I think the system's broken. Is the honest answer. I think it's been broken for some little time. It's not quite as broken as some people think. I think there are things that uh, that um, that championship. Um, managers and coordinators can do about making some decisions themselves and some of them have shown their willingness to do that and their ability to do that. But I do think it's high time that they took a step away from the system and took a look at it in its whole. It's, you know, one of my bugbears about complex systems like this is that what they tend to do is they tend to encounter a problem and add another rule. Uh, And what you end up with then It's a system that's terribly complex, which bizarrely opens up just as many loopholes as it closes. So for me, I think we're now at a point where the FIA, and it is firmly the FIA, pass a rattly truck there, um, firmly the FIA's responsibility need to take several steps away from their current system, liaise with those that actually have to use that system, and that includes the race and championship organisers and the drivers at all levels, including gentleman drivers, and ask some searching questions this is a system which let's not forget the drivers involved pay for you pay a fee every year to have your um your rating reassessed whether or not it's going to stay there or whether or not you're looking for a change to be made it is you want to race in uh, you know uh, a championship that has got that system in, uh, imposed over it you've got to pay It's high time some of that budget was actually used to see whether or not it's providing a service or whether or not it's becoming part of the problem.
1: It's time to go to General, Graham. General. General. We'll kick that off with Ben Gooding on Twitter, who asks, is there a risk of single-make GT championship markets uh, becoming oversaturated with Aston Martin joining Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Audi, and some others I'm sure exist but can't think of? There's loads of them. Let's,
0: uh, let's start with the one that's right in the middle of it, which is the reason they're all trying, and that's Porsche. Porsche, for many, many years, have had a profit center globally from their One Make Series, and that, believe, believe you me, is the model they're all trying to replicate. They're looking to get a strand of money coming into that business that will help them, both in the general company coffers, but also help them to fund other motorsport activities. Is it saturated? Well, you know, I think you can come to that conclusion when you get to the stage where grids in any particular market are looking shaky. Um, this is on the back of the R Motorsports uh, Aston Martin Vantage Cup that's due to uh, launch next year with a new version of the Aston Martin Vantage and will uh, expand into Asia and to North America in future years. Um, I'm not as negative. I'm not a particular fan of one-make racing, but some of those series are very well worthwhile. The Audi R8 LMS Cup has been particularly well-established. That's had a bit of a rocky time of late, but there are lots and lots and lots of them, whether or not it's touring cars, whether or not it's sports cars. They think they've got a, uh, a market for this. I'm prepared to let, it, let, let them go with it. If we get to the stage where lots of people are suffering, then maybe it's time uh, to think again. But we're rapidly approaching another question, I think. And that question is this. there are two, I think there's one dividing line uh, between the motorsport that we watch and the motorsport that preps us from time to time. We criticize. There's motorsport that is based on participation, that the primary consumer are the people actually doing it that we might choose to sit on a spectator bank or watch a live stream or a TV programme of it, but that's not the primary reason for doing it. There's then the other motorsports. That is things like Formula One and the WEC, etc., etc., where it is marketable motorsport. And I think they're very different things. Uh, for me, things like the McLaren Pure series, things like the new Aston Martin Cup, that is about you know a significant brand looking to build a customer base and looking to do something very specific. Most of these people will already have an Aston Martin or a McLaren or a Porsche road car. They want to put them in a second car and they want to sell them spares for those cars. And they want to sell them lots of other things. Nothing different. Um, in that regard from Rolex wanting to sell someone a second watch nothing different whatsoever I have zero problem with it and I particularly don't have a problem with it when it's employing more and more people in the sport and in the industry learning a trade that will inevitably with a number of them see them climbing up that greasy pole and making the wins in international motorsport more and better unless we get to the stage where you hit some kind of ceiling and we start to see grids dropping off
1: Stephen Gate on Twitter says, Ford Performance are currently recruiting for an aerodynamics engineer. Um, Any whispers on whether this is a sports car related advert? DPI 2, tentative look at
0: hypercar? Uh, Yeah, what it's actually all about is it's uh, Bill Ford at the moment has got. Uh, It's a particularly nice transit van. He's not very happy with the performance, and I think they're looking to see what he can do with slicks and wings uh, to get around the Detroit traffic. Now, the honest answer is I have no idea. These ads come up from time to time. Uh, I would be surprised if it wasn't to do with some kind of motorsport programme. The one that we're all aware is being looked at right now is, of course, DPI 2. And we'll wait and see whether or not that's the case. But uh, any whispers from my end? No. But I would expect those kind of matters are being looked at right now.
1: Next up is at Johnny Trotz on Twitter, with Nico Hulkenberg and Robert Kubica, two known drivers about to lose their seats in Formula One. um, Is a change to sports cars evident? As a team manager, would you sign ex-Formula One drivers to receive publicity and technical? technical insights or would you ra- would you rather see a negative impact or would no, sorry would you rather see the negative impact on salaries and teamwork it wasn't that long ago that Kvyat was supposed to race in the WC was it because he turned up at Bahrain he was due to race with Baikoles wasn't he he was
0: he's tested a couple of times in, in a couple of different cars and has made different decisions about that um, just want fast guys who actually give good technical feedback if that comes from Formula 1 then great do I think there's a particular massive boost uh, by probably Nico Hulkenberg in the car. Not massive, there'd be something. You know, he's a known quantity, but you know, a superstar Nico most certainly is not. Um, you know, he is a Le Mans winner and therefore a driver of some reasonable, more than reasonable quality. It's not being derogatory, it's just a fact. Uh, Robert Kubica, um, you know, for reasons everybody's aware of, Robert, you know, has been fighting back after... Let's let's not underestimate this horrendous injury he suffered in that rally car, and I'd love to see him back up to the kind of the, the the level of performance and results that he was having before that. Absolutely headed for greater things. Do I think he's currently capable of it? I have absolutely no idea. And here's the the news, guys. I don't think anybody else does either, including Robert Kubica. Um, I don't think the Moniker Formula One driver. Um, is as important to these teams as someone who's who's, uh, ready, willing and able to get aboard the car and do the two things that a sports car driver has to do compromise and be consistent compromise because of course it's not all about you there is a massive massive gulf between the likes of Fernando Alonso who does bring with him a very large fan base and major media attention uh, and someone like for instance Nico Hülkenberg The counterpoint is this, you've got to ask yourself the question, do you want to go for the hit uh, with the short term um, advantages of employing the likes of Fernando Alonso as Toyota did? Because the reality is they're not there to support Toyota, they're there to support Fernando Alonso and where he goes, they go. Have you kept their interest in your hybrid uh, LMP1 programme or are those people just gone? There were certainly people uh, that are not in the press room this year because Fernando Alonso is not there.
1: Mm. Next is Jeff Easterling on Facebook who asks, are there any current plans to replace the Ferrari 488 with the F8 in GTE or GT3?
0: There's clearly going to be a succession programme for Ferrari, we're not hearing about that quite yet. Uh, it's still clearly a very, very capable uh, machine. I think we're going to see an evolution of the 488 before we see a replacement model from Ferrari. And as to the timescale on that one, absolutely no information yet.
1: Another question from Damien Peachman now on Facebook. He writes... Any idea if Honda will continue in the IGTC next year and what are the chances of Aston Martin or anyone else joining the IGC GTC as a manufacturer?
0: I'd be surprised if we didn't see something from Aston Martin, I think Lamborghini have already announced their intention to join. As far as Honda is concerned, um, they're in the business at the moment uh, through JAS of selling those cars and actually getting those cars in front of the key audiences, some of those key markets will be I think a big plus. Uh, I would be surprised if they didn't show up again, they are one of the manufacturers that need to sell a few more cars to keep within their homologation uh, targets, there's got to be 20 cars sold for each of the GT3 iterations within a two-year period, Uh, and at the moment Honda are one of those ones that we know need to get a few more cars sold. I think they're going to be okay, but I think IGTC could help them, it was interesting at uh, Suzuka to have as many as we did on track Uh, but I think they'll be looking for a couple more customers on top of for instance the customers they've got in uh, North America, in Japan and with of course Bob Neville and the Rocket RJN efforts in the Blompan uh, Championship, so hope so cracking looking car, certainly very capable Uh, and interestingly we've already got two of them by the way confirmed for the FIA Motorsport Games um, at the end of this year
1: and another question from Damien. He's asking a lot of questions this just? week. My goodness, is there a limit? Is there a limit on questions? We might have to. We might have to I mean, them. start doing this, asking six questions or something like that. I'm Jesus, it is taking the Mickey. He says, "What are the chances of Bentley and Aston Martin returning to the SP9 class at the Nurburgring 24 Hours next year?"
0: Um, I think reasonable chance. So I'll be, you know, quite surprised depending on what they decide to do if our motorsport decide. didn't decide to actually have a bit of a crack at uh, taking a major crown I think it's high time we had somebody basically just... uh putting one over on the Germans, that would be quite nice to see one of the GT3 organisations, whether or not McLaren might be part of that um, effort as well. They've had a crack at it before now, with Kevin Estre, of course, uh, setting that fantastic lap record some years ago. Ferrari too, for that matter, You know, with some some interesting stuff. Unfortunately, with Team Wachenspiegel having moved away because of the power restrictions and a bit of a, a, a huff over that. But... Uh, I'd be surprised if we didn't see something coming forward. As for Bentley, they've shown that that's been on their radar before now. (laughs) There's a new man at the helm of Bentley Motorsport. I think I'd be interested to see what emerges in the next year or two as they take a look at what resource they're putting in, they take a look at what benefits on return on investment they're getting out, and they take a look at the other alternatives that might be available in motorsport
1: final question in the general section it comes from Ed Horas says is there something particularly satisfying for English racing writers and broadcasters to use the word Monegasque every time I see or hear reference to Charles Leclerc It is inevitably preceded by the Monegasque. But I almost never hear the Fin, the German, the Englishman or the Dutchman. Are these journalists showing off that they know what a resident of Monaco is called? Is there some some kind of legal requirement or is there something deeper that I'm not aware of?
0: It is a legal requirement. If you check into the the Monegasque statute book, you'll find that the Monegasque statute book requires that every time you talk about the Monegasque state, you've got to use the word Monegasque. it, it, it does lead people sometimes to blow a monogasket and uh, and that, that can be a bit of a problem as things move forward but uh, I'm very proud not to be monégasque, but to but we're not allowed to actually mention what we are um, neither by statute are we allowed to mention um, other than obliquely the nationalities of anybody other than those people from the states that uh, can be described as monogask mm.
1: Fun, it's time for fun Graham It's time for the final section, and we'll kick it off with Nicole Bitzer on Facebook. says, what are we both looking forward to race-wise before the end of the year? Christmas. (laughs) 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 It's it's almost
0: a joke. Um, What am I looking forward to? I do like the flyaways. Um, I don't like the the jet lag, the crippling jet lag, and the arriving everywhere in the dark. Um, But I do like the flyaways. I am looking forward to the start of the Asia Le Mans series. That's been a big part of my professional life over the last couple of years. And, you know, the guys behind it are justly proud of the progress that's been made there. And it's great to be part of that team. I'm looking forward to the European Le Mans series uh, finale in Portimao. That has been a great championship to watch and cover uh, this year. But I think from our point of view yours and my point of view, and for Lawley's point of view, uh, sitting up front at the moment, there is another aspect here, which is we don't get much time off at these race meetings. But that is our leisure time. That is our kind of quality time with our mates, and that matters a lot. Um, it's good to spend time with the people you like as well as your family. And I do like my love my family. If you're listening, Trudy, love you dearly. Um, but actually for my racing year, my racing year and the things I'm looking forward to are edging into next year because next year um, we've got the Bend, somewhere I've never been before, Um, I've only had one track this year that I've never been to before that was Suzuka, Uh, we've got the back-to-back uh, season finale for the Asian Lamont series and that will have a particular family significance this year if our plans come together because my good lady wife whom I adore more than words can say will be celebrating a very special birthday and I'm hoping and we're planning that she'll be with me for that and that's not happened for an awfully long time on a long distance race Is she 21 again? She's 21 for the
1: second time Fabulous I think it's Bahrain for me. I love going to Bahrain. I really every time we've been to Bahrain I've really enjoyed it and I think it's probably not gonna be as good as it has been in previous years because it's not the end of season party, but I've really enjoyed the trips to Bahrain, love that circuit. We always have a good laugh. Racing's usually pretty decent as well, but it was it was good as a as an end of season race for the WC.
0: Eight hour race and under the lights again, they do look great under the lights. Is that because that's the only place in the world that they'll actually serve you a salad?
1: No comment. No comment.
0: It's, a, it's an in-joke that uh, Stephen has repeatedly around the world, but particularly in Austria for some reason, in restaurants, ordered salad, and it's seldom ever delivered to him. We don't know why. There's not been any intervention on our parts, but I think probably they've looked at Stephen and thought, you're taking the mickey, aren't you, mate? We're not going to give you a salad. that's not what you want, here's another steak.
1: said, so you're wasting away over there. We must give him some meat, because clearly he doesn't need any salad. He's dieted far too much.
0: At this point, it's my turn to say no comment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Steve, I'm sorry for butchering your second name. Kowalczyk? I'm going to go with that and apologise on Facebook. Kowalski. Kowalski. (laughs) Right. As Top Gear has acknowledged many times, Americans have no idea what most of your UK and European celebrities are. Can you tell us uh, about some non-American celebrities who have proven to be capable racing drivers... The only one I know is pop star Johnny Alliday, who has 55 million albums sold, which is exactly how to, how the announcer would address him whenever his car was shown during the 2002 Paris-Dakar rally.
0: Well, David Alliday, his son, um, who is still, I think, active in racing... Um, Ooh, Luc Alfond uh, Olympic skier of some notes uh, was a very capable race driver until he hurt his back I think again in Dakar on a bike but he was racing in GT1 um, Corvettes and GT2 cars very capably um, can't leave without saying to Chris Hoy uh, 2015 European Le Mans Series um, LMP3 champion with Team LNT and Charlie Robertson who is part of the LMP1 effort this year Chris an astonishing cyclist, um, absolutely gave himself to his sports, multiple multiple gold medals at Olympic level, an absolute national hero uh, in the UK. And when he finished his cycling career, turned to an interest in uh, motorsports. And Chris's thighs um, were extraordinary. Do look it up on Google, Chris Hoy, uh, back in the day. His, I mean, I'm I'm not a slim man in my middle years, and Chris's thighs were bigger than my waist. Um, absolutely extraordinary. So when he first went to race a small prototype, a little radical SR1, he literally couldn't fit his legs into the car. They had to build a car specifically for Chris. To get in and race but no he was a very and remains by the way a very capable driver and uh, you know I think one of the questions was talking about Top Gear I think he still holds that record on the Top Gear uh, track and it's not a surprise to anybody that's seen him still races, races Caterham's at the moment and on occasion we've seen him in uh, other cars I think he was the guest driver at the British Grand Prix this year in Super Cup maybe last year uh, so there there's a couple others Stephen
1: I can't remember how he did, because I don't think I watched a single race that season. But what about Paul Hollywood? How was he when he raced in the British oh, GT? Paul's
0: perfectly capable. You know, he's done GT4. He's done a couple of um, the 24-hour races. I've got a funny feeling. Didn't he do the 24 hours of Cota um, in the uh, Aston Martin a couple of years ago, finished on the podium there? So, again...
1: Not an American, by the way. That's no. the most American name for somebody who's not American. Yes,
0: Baker. He's a Baker. Uh, features as a principal player in one of the most astonishing success stories in British television in the modern era, The Great British Bake Off. Yes, that. Uh, but Paul Hollywood, part of that. We've actually got another celebrity who's been kind of flying high in the um, the British GT Championship, uh, Ex soap sopactor, now um, Strictly Come Dancing contestant. Uh, you know, taking over from the uh, injured, another injured celebrity. I'd look, watch these celebrities and think, I have no idea who these people are. But no, we've we've had a number of them uh, coming along, and you know, plying their trade and actually doing pretty well. So, no, s- aside from Sir Chris Hoy, in terms of the UK celebrities, I'm struggling to think of any others at that kind of level. We've had a few come and go. We've had a few that have come in and been utterly, utterly woeful. Um, Andrew Ridgely, uh, latterly the very much lesser part of Wham, alongside the um, dear departed uh, George Michael, came in and wrecked a few race cars for a number of years. Uh, We've had various other sportsmen come and roll things down uh, hills at um, at Brands Hatch, but uh, there, there have been a few.
1: I've got a feeling there's a few musicians from Europe that have raced, oh. I can't
0: remember Brian Johnson, uh, ACDC of course, of course. Uh, done the Rolex 24 and uh, what a lovely lovely fellow he is. he is, Felix Baumgartner by the way the man that jumped from space
1: uh, never no, been 24 hours,
0: absolutely and did a, a, a more than a solid job there and there's a few um, others that are kind of kicking around a lot, I mean what the, the current Vogue the current Vogue is for, um, is of course YouTube uh, in brackets stars um you know I'll let well, they, they, that one to run fellow what was that Lordy you were just say Nick Mason Nick Mason, of course, and Pink Pink Floyd, uh, Pink,
1: Pink Floyd, Pink, Pink, <laughs> uh, Pink, Pink
0: Floyd, and as well as which actually there um, and another dear departed soul, uh, Steve O'Rourke, who was the manager of Pink Floyd, and finished fourth at the Le Mans 24 Hours in his McLaren. Uh, so you know, there have been kind of people around. There were, you know, there's another, there's a fair number of people that you might think are comedians just by their um, performance in the in the race car, but no, um, they are around they do make a worthy addition to it and for the most part, I'd suggest this is they're doing it because they're passionate about it, um, not because uh, they're there just for the publicity. One further one because I've just remembered it, Neil Primrose um, Mm. who races uh, in historic cars for the most part Um, but he's another guy, another musician that uh, is out there just for the pure passion of these things
1: Well, do you say um, Rick Parfit Bit Parvati Junior, Junior yeah.
0: yeah. Watch for his plans in the future. Uh, I've been hearing uh, what that's all about, and that could be quite interesting. So I think we're going to see a bit more of Rick.
1: We've got. Uh, oh, by two- the way, if you're
0: listening, Rick, good luck. I know you've got some, uh, some, you know, some medical attention that's required for your ongoing struggle, and good luck with that.
1: We're going to finish off with two more questions from Damian. Peachman, who has asked 700 questions this 700? week, 700. This not will be 702 easy. questions by the end of this episode. Uh, well, if
0: if it's more than 700, he's he's gone through the glass ceiling. We'll allow it this time, but next time, just keep it to the
1: 700. Yeah, just uh, 699. I think. Yeah. Just give yourself a bit of bit of leeway there. He says, Stephen, what what car is not a GTLM one GT3 car that you would like to see become one? It can be anything you like. Uh, I've been thinking about this, and, and there's two. One is the Jaguar F-Type, which is a GT4 car, but I, just, I, I really want Jaguar back on the international scene at a high level. I want to see them racing up against big makes in a championship where they can show off a road car like the F-Type, which is awesome. I love that car. And the other one is the Aston Martin Vulcan, which has raced. It has had has raced, but not as a, a GTE or a GTLM car or a GT3 car, and that thing is a beast, Graham. Um,
0: I could answer on both of those. I mean, of course, the Vulcan was a limited uh, production special, and so you're unlikely to see that homologated at all. In fact, you're not going to see that homologated at all. The f type is an interesting one, because that is one you would think is a bit of a shoe-in. But I hear from somebody involved with that car uh, that uh, the the key point about the, uh, the F-Type is, simply, its chassis dynamics don't support what you would need to do to, to actually get that to a homologated level above GT4. That's, that's unlikely to see that level of attention simply for that reason. Brilliant road car, no doubt about that. It's um, been reasonably capable as a GT4 car. I don't think we're going to see that model progress up the racing ladder.
1: Final question. Graham what's more boring a Porsche GTLM slash GTE livery or FC Sochi's home jersey
0: had to look that one up and it is indeed a very boring jersey white uh, all over white just with blue trim uh, it reminded me of Tottenham Hotspur nil which I believe is the official name for uh, a premiership uh, Club in the UK is that right? Tottenham Hotspur nil.
1: That's what no, there's it? a club called Tottenham Hotspur, but not a club called Tottenham Hotspur nil. I so they're... I think maybe it's something from when you were a kid, which I know is about 200 years ago.
0: yeah, yeah, but I mean, always, almost always on the sports programs they caught, they announced it as Tottenham Hotspur nil. But never mind. Um, which is more boring? Well, you know what? I love seeing the tribute liveries that we've seen over the last year, two in particular from Porsche. I have gone on the record. Have been slightly controversial about the quality of their season-long liveries and that perhaps a little corporate, very corporate indeed. Um, I, I think what they could probably do with is to find some backing from a more modern, edgy sponsor. And actually got a got a a suggestion. Actually, in the Spa paddock, of the kind of sponsor that might be. That's you know we've not really got at a soapbox. Uh, this week, Um, we've not had the uh, Boucher's Hammer Emporium soapbox, but Boucher's Hammer Emporium, I gather has actually now come roaring into the 21st century and it's now Boucher's Hammers R Us I think Boucher's Hammers R Us on a Porsche GT LM car, or GTE Pro car, could be quite something to see, even better if actually they find a seat for Christoph himself, because let's not forget, angry uh, man, he may be uh, unpleasant personally, he can be when riled, but that's a man that did have one heck of a career in sports cars. But it was a long, long time ago, Christoph.
1: Just quickly point out before we finish off, Porsche's Coca Cola deliveries for Petit Le Mans look fabulous.
0: It's the real thing, isn't it? Um, it's the real thing, and it's um, I, I gather what they actually did was originally. They pulled the uh, wraps off in front of the um, in front of the guys that were going to approve it or not in marketing. It was in blue, with you know white, and they actually said, "Is Pepsi alright?" And the answer was, "No." Put it back in Coca-Cola livery. But uh, no, look, it's a great livery. Both uh, both in that. Uh, I think there's be one that's going to be with the wide body pack, uh, and the other one with the narrow body. That's going to be the Coke light car, and we'll wait and
1: see. That'll just about wrap it up, won't it, Graham?
0: It will. Thanks to
1: uh,
0: all of you for sending in questions. Thanks to Dave Lord for doing the driving and the infill on what it does sound like to be close up and personal to an H24 car. Particularly thanks to the heavily mutilated uh, Stephen Kilby, who's still here uh, in his surgical gown, which I'm afraid is gaping rather at the back and unpleasantly so. Not quite sure what that is around the back there, but whatever it is, it needs shaving. Uh, But uh, with thanks to the backers for the weekend sports cars of course from Cooper Tyres and from the Justice Brothers with much love to Marshall and Sabra- Chabral this week uh, for their big move, uh, I've been Graham Goodwin this has been the weekend sports cars podcast with the Marshall Probe podcast we'll speak to you next week